Amen. Thank you, Callie. Let's take our Bibles, please. Turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. I want to make a quick apology. Um, I got a couple calls this week, and people said, I called you three weeks ago, a month ago. You never got back to me. We were having some phone issues, and it would come through to my cell phone, and nobody was there. And so then if they called back, it went to no man's land somewhere. We're not sure, but we've got it fixed, all right? So please be patient with me. Please forgive me if I did not return your call, if you even left a message. We're not sure what happened to it. So please just try again, all right? If you have any questions or anything you need to talk to me about, please call again. We've got it fixed, all right? Second Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, and I'm going to read the entire chapter, but we're going to focus on five or six verses here in the middle of the chapter. Uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, I've entitled the message tonight, Some Apostolic Advice. Some Apostolic Advice. You know, I'm, I'm becoming more and more concerned with the testimony of the church, Now, when I say church, I'm saying that to be kind because I mean the church that is made up of people. We need to be very careful about our testimony, and especially in these days of social media. And I'm going to be very careful tonight. I, you know, this morning, if you heard the message, I got excited at times and raised my voice and shouted. And I'm trying to, on purpose, just to kind of keep a, a moderate tone tonight. I don't want anybody to think I'm angry. I'm not angry. I've made the same mistakes. But I want to show you what the Bible says about an appropriate response to tribulation. And I think that's a better way to describe it. Some say, well, the church is being persecuted and we need to take a stand. Well, uh, the little jewelry shop downtown is suffering the same persecution and yet they are not Christians perhaps. And and so I, I don't know that we're suffering persecution right now. Perhaps the day will come and perhaps we're heading in that direction, no doubt about it. The Bible says evil men shall act worse and worse. But I just want to address tonight for a few moments a biblical response, and I'm not trying to be topical. I was reading my Bible, and this is what came across, and I just thought, boy, this speaks to our day. You know, I've noticed my my wife has Facebook, and we're not on there very much, but when I have been on there, she was reading me some things the other night, and I'm finding that a lot of Canadians are arguing American politics. And I understand that we all have an opinion. I watch the American politics, I watch the inauguration, I know that it affects Canada in a great way, but let me say this, an argument on Facebook has never changed the results of a foreign election ever. It's never happened. Do you know what turns the heart of the king? Is the prayers of God's people. And our response ought to be very different than the world's. And the problem is, is I know that we have an opinion, and our opinions never change anything, but I'm seeing somebody put an opinion on Facebook, which you're completely entitled to. You are more than welcome to come and tell me you believe that UFOs exist in a hidden planet behind the moon. You are welcome to your opinion. But if I'm being Christ-like, I don't have a right to run you into the ground for your opinion. And so my response is what the important thing here is is tonight, and that's what I'm talking about. Anybody's allowed to think, well, I liked Mr. Trump or I liked Mr. Biden. I liked uh, Mr. Trudeau or I liked somebody else from the conservative party or I like Mr. Ford or I don't like Mr. Ford. Uh, You are welcome to your opinions and you're more than, uh, as far as I'm concerned, you can have them and put them anywhere you want. I'm talking about the little box below your opinion where so many of our church folks and children of God are responding in a very unkind way, angered with one another, and even fighting. 
We're arguing about politics from another country. We're also arguing about COVID-19. We're arguing whether we should be locked down or we should be free. We're arguing about whether the church should have a stronger response. But again, arguments never healed a nation. But God has promised those who humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways would be heard of God and he would heal their land. Can I, can I give you a game plan right here? And if, if you're starting to get upset with me already, that's fine. So I'm going to give you something right now that you can take home as a Bible principle. And then if you shut me off later on, that's okay. All right. Would you pray before you give your opinion? Would you humble yourself and seek God's face and do all you can on your knees before the throne of God before you enter into a fight with somebody on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever, social media? I have a suspicion, and I don't mean to point fingers because I don't know if it's 100% true, but it feels like some people put their opinions on Facebook looking to start a fight. It's very unchristlike, and we need to be very careful. Christians are beginning to act like we're victims, and the world is out to get us. Can I remind you of something? That has always been the case. Why is it any different today? The Bible said that they, they warned Jude that evil men will creep in unawares into the church and seek to destroy it. The devil's like a roaring lowing, seeking whom he may devour. This, this is not news. We live in a, a, an unprecedented time in history, not because of COVID-19, but because the church has had liberty. That's unusual in the history of our world. Some have taken Jude chapter 1 and verse 3 where the Bible says earnestly contend for the faith as a war cry, but that was for the preservation of truth within the confines of the local church. In this pulpit, we should stand for truth. We should preach God's word unashamedly and the whole counsel of God each and every week to the people in these pews and we should stand for truth and we should cast out heresy. That does not mean we are to take up arms and walk into our streets. That's not what that verse means. There's only one time in the Bible that I read about a Christian taking up arms, and that was Peter when he cut off Malchus's ear, and he was quickly rebuked by the Lord Jesus Christ. Some will say, well, you're a coward because you're not marching in the streets and you're not fighting. Don't get me wrong. I will defend my country, and I'll defend my family and physically if necessary. But there's something we're missing in all of this. Our battle is not out in the streets of Norfolk County. And you say, why is that? Because we wrestle not against flesh and blood. That's what we really need to understand here. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. I said, well, there you have it. There's armor. You'll notice that within that armor, we have the helmet of salvation. We have the breastplate of righteousness. We have our loins girt about with truth. We have our feet shod with the gospel of the preparation of peace. Where The Bible says, above all, take unto you the shield of faith, all of which are defensive measures. 
They'll protect you. The only offensive weapon we have in Ephesians chapter 6 is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This is how we fight with truth. This is how we win our battles by getting before a holy God and begging and pleading and, and asking God to turn the heart of the king. This is how we fight our battles. Are you saying it's wrong to sign a petition? No, I'm not saying that. You are still citizens. Are you saying it's wrong that we stand and say, listen, we'd really like to have church? No, I've written letters to our politicians. I have asked them if they would reopen our churches. I've decided that our response as a church ought to be kind. It ought to be with love. It ought to be Christ-like and Christ-exalting. And by the way, it ought to be with manners. Because we represent Christ. Pastor Stone and I were talking a little while ago and some pastors were putting out some emails about what they were going to do and the stand that they were going to take for their God. And we got talking about it and I said, they sound angry. And he said this, and I thought, boy, I think there's some wisdom in that. He says, we need to stop pointing our finger in the faces of our politicians and saying, this is what we are going to do. And start saying please, and thank you, and can we work with you? Now, I know we're not to be unequally bonded. I understand that. But the Bible says that we are to obey them that rule over us. That they bear the sword not in vain. But that chapter, Romans 13, says they are ministers of good. We just talked about Ezra a couple weeks ago, and we were talking about, I think it was Calvin, they talked about Nehemiah on Sunday night, and I talked about Ezra on Wednesday night. Do you know both of them, the king's heart was turned, that they might return to Jerusalem and rebuild the city and have their temple rebuilt and have services again. And friends, I'm telling you that if we can get that spirit of Nehemiah and that spirit of Ezra, that we too can see God work. I just want to spend a few minutes tonight, and I want to say this. I'm not rebuking you for having an opinion. I'm not rebuking you for putting it on social media. I want to say this, that our response to those people, whoever you might be, friend or foe, ought to be in the spirit of Christ. It ought to be with love, with kindness, and with manners. Can I give you this verse before we read our scripture tonight? 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19 says this. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, now listen to this, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. I honestly believe we could stop right there. That if we could just take that one verse, and, or those two verses, verses 19 and 20 of 1 Corinthians 6, and I, I say that again to encourage you, write those references down. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Don't you know? What? Know you not? Are you not aware? Don't you know? 
Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Why? Because he is in you. The Holy Ghost is in you. Which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. You belong to somebody else. You are an ambassador of the king. You are a child of God. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit with your God. You say, oh, you just want us to be a bunch of wimps. I'm not saying that at all. Listen, when the day comes, we will stand for Jesus Christ. But when you stand for Jesus Christ, you have the greatest general of all time leading us in the war. And the Bible says, if God be for us, who can be against us? We need to learn to trust him. You know this, right? But sometimes we know this truth and it doesn't curb those feelings inside us that provoke us to want to fight. It's in our nature sometimes. It says, well, what do I do, pastor, when I just want to fight? When I, when I hear that politician, I want to strangle him. When I want to rip off a nasty letter and send it to our MP, what do I do? The Apostle Paul tells us. Notice what it says in verse 1. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus under the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly. Now, let me just stop. I'm not even going to get... This isn't part of my message but let me, let me point something out to you. For, for those of you that are on social media and you go to the same church and you're bickering back and forth, all right? Notice what it says. Paul says, we are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because your faith groweth exceedingly. What is the evidence of that? And the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. People that grow in faith will love one another. They'll love one another. So does that mean we never have a disagreement? No, we, we disagree, don't we? I disagree with myself some days. But it means you can be kind. My friend used to say, we can disagree without being disagreeable. Not everything has to be a fight. Not everything has to be an argument. Adults can disagree and go their separate ways and still disagree. It's okay. He says, the evidence of this faith that is growing exceedingly in you is that your charity of every one of you is abounding toward each other. Verse 4, so that we ourselves, I said I wouldn't raise my voice, but I'm getting excited. So that we ourselves glory in you, in the churches of God, for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that he endured. Now here's what I'm going to ask you to do right now. Take out a pen and go to verse 4. And you underline the word that you think you're going through right now. Persecution or tribulation? I'm going to underline the word tribulation. I think we're going through trials. I think we're going through some troubled waters. I don't call it persecution because, like I said, uh, the persecution of the saints doesn't apply to the guy that owns the little stores downtown that are also closed. I think this is a wide-sweeping thing. I think it's, it's maybe leading to more government controls and things. I know there's all kinds of arguments. I get that. And one day we will see persecution because the Bible says they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. I understand that. 
But if you want to say, I'm, I'm going to underline persecution, I'm not going to argue with you. Because here's why. Whether you underline persecution or tribulation, the rest of the chapter is the same. This is not door number one or door number two. This is not some interactive game where if you pick persecutions, we're going to go this way for a sermon. And if you pick tribulations, we'll go this way. I'm here to tell you the advice from the apostle tonight is exactly the same. How do we handle it? What do we do? Verse 5. By the way, here's what these persecutions and tribulations are, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for such for which ye also suffer, seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you, and to you who are troubled rest with us, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power." When he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe. Because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Wherefore, also we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling. And fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness in the work of faith with power. That the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you. And ye and him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I need your help tonight. Lord, help each one of us to be kind. Lord, the world is watching. We put something out there on social media. We put something out on our church sign. We say something untoward across our, in our message that was inappropriate. And the whole world can watch. Lord, if there's anything that this trial has taught us is that Christians need to be of one mind. Lord, whether we cross the street and believe the same thing exactly, if we know Jesus as our Savior, we must all be on our faces before God and pleading and begging with God to preserve those freedoms that we have to worship. So I pray that you'd help us and teach us tonight how to have a biblical response. And we'll thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to notice tonight that as the apostle gives some guidance in these areas, he says, what are we doing here? Notice, notice again, verse 4, so that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. There's two things right there that Paul tells us that we should practice when we're having tribulations or persecutions. Number one is patience. How many of us are patient? And we must have faith. Isn't it interesting? We're quick to say that, well, we're people of faith. How many of you ever heard say that we are a people of patience? But the two go hand in hand. If we have true Bible faith and we are willing to trust God, come, come, uh, come what may, no matter what is coming our way, then we'll be a patient people. The Bible says, they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall uh, mount up with wings as eagles. They shall walk and not be weary. They shall run and not faint. It's those that wait upon the Lord. Psalm chapter 27 the Bible says in the very last verse, I had failed, uh, I had uh, 
I desire to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And it says, blessed are they that wait on the Lord. That ought to be the desire of the Christian is to grow in patience. Say, well, I haven't got time to be patient. Think about what you just said. We don't like patience because the Bible says it's through the trying of our faith that worketh patience. But Paul echoes that thought to Thessalonians. He says, I've seen patience and faith in your persecutions and the tribulations that you endure. But I want you to notice what he gives them first. First of all, he gives them a promise. He gives them a promise. It says in verse 5, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. So his promise is this, I'm going to give you a reason for tribulation. I don't know about you, but I kind of like to know why things are happening. I've heard people say, I must have done something very wrong for this to be going on in my life right now. I don't know what I did to offend God. I don't know what I did to hurt God. And I want you to know the church of Thessalonica did nothing to offend God. Instead, they stood for God. This is the same church back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 that Paul said, I was on my way to visit with you, and I went to Berea, and I went to Sincrea, and I went to other places, but your faith to Godward was spread. You'd already been soul winning over there. What a great church. He says, so I need not say anything. There's nothing, I, everybody was already saved because of the work of the church of Thessalonica. They had not done anything wrong. But he says this, I'm going to give you a reason for the tribulation. Verse 5 says, it is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God. Why? That you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which ye also suffer. Paul says, suffering makes you worthy. Do you know what Peter and John said after they healed the man and they were taken prisoner? We're talking about Acts chapter 3 and 4. You remember the lame man, the lady at the gate called Beautiful, and they, silver and gold have I none, and they, they raised him up, and they walked into the temple glorifying God, and they were arrested. They were put on trial overnight. Well, I'm getting through two chapters real fast, all right? And they were arrested, and they were beaten, and they were released. They were told not to teach and preach in Jesus' name, and the Bible says they went their way rejoicing, glad that they were worthy to suffer persecution for his name's sake. You see, it's through trials that we grow. It's your tribulation that we become stronger. Nobody likes suffering. Nobody does. I, I, I don't know if I've ever met anybody that, that enjoys suffering. Pain and anguish and grief and sorrow. Nobody likes to suffer. You know, so many like the idea that we might reign with Christ one day. You've heard that, haven't you? Brother Gerald, you hear that? Even in probably, I heard it in Bible college. Well, one day, praise God, we'll all rule and reign with him. That's not what the Bible says. You know what the Bible says? Second Timothy, if we suffer, if we suffer, we shall also reign with him. There's a special reward in the Bible for suffering. I'm not saying that God orchestrates that suffering, but for those saints that, that go through tribulation and persecution and suffer, there's a reward from God. And so there's a promise of the reason of our tribulation. But I want you to notice, secondly, a recompense to tribulation. 
a recompense. The Bible says in verse 6, and I'm not making up some big word. This is a Bible word. It says, seeing it as a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. You say, what does recompense mean? It basically means an eye for an eye. That God is going to respond in kind. I want to say this about this response or this recompense to tribulation. It is a right recompense or a right response. You might think, well, God's going to be merciful and graceful. Isn't that what what, uh, Jonah thought? Jonah went down to Nineveh and he preached and he sat up on that hill and he saw God sweep across with mercy and he was angry. I knew you were going to do this, God. But look what the Bible says in verse 7. Verse 7, and to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Yes, there might be some in that crowd today that is causing tribulation for the church that will accept Christ as Savior. And they will find the mercy and the grace of God is sufficient to save their souls. But the Bible says when Christ comes, everybody else will be put away with everlasting destruction. Can Can I just put in some modern vernacular here? God's got this. We worry so much about, well, we need to fight back. God's got this. How dare they treat the church like this? God's got it. God's got it. He's in control. It's a right recompense, but it's also a righteous recompense. The Bible says in verse 6, seeing it as a righteous thing with God. In other words, God always does right. Let me ask you this. Have you ever deleted a response? Have you ever put a response on? I'm not just talking about Facebook or or any social media. Have you ever said something that's come out of your mouth and you went, oh boy, I wish I hadn't said that. I could have said that better. I could have said that kinder. I could have said that in a more Christ-like way. I just damaged my testimony by how I said that. Do you know what the Bible says? It is a righteous thing with God to recompense evil. God's always going to do it right. God's always going to do it right. We're never going to get to heaven and say, God, I wish you had said that a little differently. I wish you had cleaned up your language a little bit. I I wish that when you rained down hellfire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah, that maybe you had taken a different approach. No, no, no. God is always right. He is righteous. And if we will learn how to trust in him, uh, we will find out that he will respond to tribulation. It'll be a right response. It'll be a righteous response. Turn, if you will, to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Do me a favor, if somebody tomorrow says to you, I shut off 
the live stream, I didn't like the message. Tell them that as soon as they shut it off, pastor gave out $100 bills to everybody. Can you do that? No, don't do that. Don't lie, okay? I'm just teasing while I'm trying to find my passage. Verse 17, chapter 12, verse 17. Listen to this. Listen to what it says. The exact same word, only other time it appears in the New Testament. Recompense to no man, evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves. That means somebody's done you wrong, don't you go back and try to get revenge. But rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, what? Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Turn back to 1 Thessalonians. I want to show you another verse there. 1 Thessalonians, and look over at verse 5 and verse 15. The Bible says, See that none render evil for evil unto any man. But ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Years ago, <laughs> years ago, my boys, uh, Pastor Rutherford had, had our kids for something. I don't remember what it was. It was years and years ago. And uh, I, I think Brendan was about eight, and so Austin was about four or five. And Brendan said something that Austin didn't like. And Barry said, I have never seen a little kid fly like that. He said, but he come running and he jumped from about eight feet away and he went after him. And he was, he said, he says, I was having a hard time out laughing because I had this 30 pound little, because Austin was such a scrawny little guy, this 30 pound little kid going across this kid that was, was almost the size of a man by the time he was nine years old. And he says, just attacked him. Do you know the truth is, a lot of times we do that. Somebody says something unkind and we fly. Maybe not physically, but in our spirit. We get angry and we fly off the handle. And our spirit is grieved. The Bible says, recompense not evil for evil. Don't try to get even. Don't try to avenge yourself. Trust in God because he has a righteous response and a right response every single day time. That's a promise. Number two, there's a preservation here. Look at verse seven. First Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians chapter one, verse seven. I'm sorry, I had you turn to the wrong verse. It was First Thessalonians 5.15, not second. I said Second Thessalonians doesn't have a chapter five. So if you're writing down notes, that was First Thessalonians 5.15. Look back at Second Thessalonians chapter one, verse seven. I want you to see a preservation. And to you who are troubled... Rest with us. Rest with us. Do you know what that word rest means? It means exactly what you think it means. Gerald, come up here for a minute. I need your help. But it has two meanings. First of all, it means to rest. Pretty straightforward, huh? To allow for recovery and peace. I, listen, when somebody says something nasty to you, maybe it'd be a good idea to pause. Maybe a good idea to follow the Bible is just 
Just, just rest with us. These people were going through, by the way, real persecution. They were taking these Christians and lighting the lamps in Nero's gardens with them. They were thrown to the lions. The apostle Paul made it a habit of dragging people out, the Bible says, with threatenings and slaughtering. And don't you believe for a minute that when Paul got saved that somebody else didn't take up his job? They knew what persecution and tribulation was. And, and God says, just rest for a minute. Just take a moment. What do you do with that moment? You pray. You seek God. But here's what it also means. It means to relieve. It means to relieve. So now, Gerald has a mean wife. Don't, don't agree, she's watching you. And she says something nasty to him, or somebody, a man in the church, here's a better, a man in the church says something nasty about his wife. Boy, that gets some guy's heart going, that gets him angry, doesn't it? Somebody says something about your wife, you know, and you just get upset about it. And Gerald says, I'm going to go take that guy out, and he starts walking, and I'm going to, man, I'm going to, and somebody grabs and says, Gerald, just take a minute. Let's pray about this. Hey, yeah, you need to go talk to that guy. There's no doubt in my mind. You, you need to do something about that. And somebody grabs him by the arms and just says, let's, let's just calm. That's what this word rest means. When, when the apostle says, come and rest with me, he's saying, hold on a second. But here's the bigger picture. It's not me grabbing Gerald's arm and trying to talk to him. It's God grabbing our arm and saying, wait a minute, I got this. You just stay here. That's relief. That's what the word means. It's a term from the, from the military, and a military term, when, when a soldier gets his rest. Understand this. You may be seated, Gerald. When a soldier gets his rest, think about this. If you go into battle... Let's, let's just go back to World War II and we have our Canadian troops and we're up there fighting on the front lines and I disappeared, didn't I? We're up there fighting on the front lines and uh, uh, somebody says, all right, it's time for rest. And all the soldiers are, woo. Man, wouldn't that, I mean, think about it. It's been a bloodbath. You're tired. You're injured. You haven't slept in 36 hours. Those soldiers can't just go home. Somebody else has to relieve them and take up the battle. Otherwise, Hitler and his armies take over all of Europe. They wipe out Holland. Isn't that what Canada's famous for? Liberating Holland. And, and, and so that's what this word rest means. I'm going to give you a rest, but I'm going to fight the battle for you. You know, sometimes our response is, I just want to fly with fists of fury. <laughs> There's times where we have to stand. But could I encourage you, would you pray first before you respond? Would you just take a little pause? Would you take some time to think it through and as they say, let cooler heads prevail? And would you also understand this, relief is coming. God will fight the battle if we'll let him. You say, well, I don't see God doing anything. It has been my experience a lot of times we don't see God work because we don't ask him. We're so busy trying to fix people's opinions that we haven't asked God to take care of it. 
We haven't prayed earnestly and sought God's face and said, God, heal our land. God says, let me give you the relief. There's a preservation, but I want you to see thirdly, there's a purpose. Why does all this matter? Why did Paul say to this church, I am so proud of you for your patience and for your faith and how you've endured tribulation and persecutions and how you've come to understand that God is a righteous judge and he will recompense the evil and he will, he will take care of all these wrongs. Why is this so important? Verse 10. Because one day he's been coming, coming to be glorified in his saints. I, I, I called it this. First of all, it's to the praise of the Lord. To the praise of the Lord. Verse 10 says, When he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Look at verse 12. That the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you. Isn't that what really we want? We're bought with a price. We are not our own. Therefore glorify God in your spirit. And we blow our testimony with an unkind word. Oh, I'm not saying you shouldn't disagree if somebody's speaking foolishly. I'm saying, how do we disagree? How do we show... The church at Ephesus, Paul said to them, we are to speak the truth in love. Ephesians 4.15. How are we responding? Because one day God's coming back and he wants to be glorified in you. I'd hate to be hiding somewhere because of my Facebook page when Christ returns. How can God be glorified in me if I'm filthy all the time with my mouth? If I'm fighting all the time with the other... I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about other saints. That's what we're seeing today. There's a purpose why we act right. Because we want to praise the Lord. Second, we want to present the Lord. Notice what it says in verse 10. When he shall come to be glorified in his saints, and look at this, and to be admired in all them that believe. Wait a minute, what does that mean? If the Lord is glorified in Daniel, and he's admired in all them that believe, so Daniel and Sarah and Gerald and Ronan, that must be unsafe people that are admiring him in those that believe. Because that's all that's left. If God is glorified in the saints and he's admired in all them that believe, those doing the admiring must be unsaved people. In other words, we are to present Christ. Ask yourself a question tonight. If unsaved people were to see your social media, would they see Christ? Or would they see bickering Christians? I know I've addressed social media a lot tonight, but it's not just social media, is it? I would hate to think that there's a rumor in the community that says, well, you know, Grace Baptist Church doesn't get along with Bethel Baptist Church. Oh, I'd hate that. I was so thankful Brother Hansford came to our church. He's retired pastor for Grace, and I had him pray, and everybody's, Wow. He's not my enemy. We need more gospel preachers, not less. Do we agree on everything? Probably not. But we need to love one another. 
because we are going to present Christ. So we are to present the Lord, and thirdly, honestly, just simply to please the Lord. Wherefore, verse 11, also we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill, that's you, all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power. We need to be pleasing unto the Lord. God would count us worthy of this calling. You know, God desires to use you. The Bible says in every house there's vessels. Some are gold, some are silver, but some are wood, some are clay. I've said this before. It's not about composition. It's about consecration. It doesn't matter what they're made of. It's whether or not they're clean. And if God's going to be glorified in us, that we might be able to present Christ to a lost and dying world, we must be clean. That includes our tongue. I thought about this the other day as I was reading. The Bible talks about the Lord Jesus Christ running upon those Pharisees, and he says, oh, you generation of vipers. Do you know how vipers do their damage? Their poison is in their mouth. I think what Jesus was saying to them, you run your mouths all the time, and that's what gets you in trouble. That's where the poison lies. The Bible says when it talks about the tongue in the book of James, what matter of fire, or what matter a little fire kindleth? What matter a little, your tongue, just a, just a spark will start a forest fire. It talks about the helm of a ship, and it's just a little tiny rudder can turn a giant ship, and he says, that's like your tongue. Be careful. When we were kids, we'd sing, be careful little eyes what you see, be careful little ears what you hear, be careful little tongue what you say. Our speech is also always to be with grace, seasoned with salt. That's what the Bible says. Let's bow our heads tonight. Brother Daniel's going to play, and let me ask you to do this. Could each one of us pray? Just examine our hearts about our responses. We just live in a day and age where everybody has an opinion. That's fine. Nothing wrong with that. You can have an opinion. We're going to have more opinions. We're going to have opinions about vaccines, aren't we? That's fine. You can have one. But we don't have to fight over it. We don't have to argue over it. Doesn't have to split a church. Everybody thinks, listen, God, God is a God of great variety and he's made us all very different. And that's okay. Some might say, well, I, I like so-and-so singing, but somebody else might, I don't like their singing. That's okay, you don't have to fight over it. How are we responding? How are we honoring Christ and how we talk to others?